You're listening to the Pastoral Calling Podcast with Matt Loverin and me, Jim Shamaria. Our goal is to start a conversation about life and leadership in the local church. Welcome back to the Pastoral Calling Podcast. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. Joe, welcome. Thanks. It's good to be here. Joe Johnson is not Jim Shamaria. I wish I was. We all do at times. <laughs> But Jim is not here, and if you've noticed, if you're a regular follower of the podcast, uh, we've been in a bit of a hiatus here in the last month or so, as Jim and his wife Natalie have welcomed their first baby girl, their first baby into the world, baby Isla, was born just a few weeks ago. She's so cute. She is super cute, with a lot of hair. Yeah. And a lot of cheeks. Yeah. And uh, we love her to death. So Jim is enjoying some much-needed and deserved family time. And we are doing our best to cover the podcast in his absence. Yeah. So it won't be the same, but it'll be great. And hopefully Joe doesn't do so well that he replaces <laughs> Jim as the co-host of the podcast. It could happen, though. So be careful, Joe. Sorry. Just settle down. <laughs> we tried to do the intern roundup episode, but that was plagued by technical difficulties. And so we still hope to do an intern roundup and talk about all things internship. And I might ask you a couple of questions about that later. Ugh. In the show, I know, super (laughs) exciting topic, Yeah, but it's an important one and one that's really common. I think it would would help people be informed about uh, that role in ministry that's increasingly prominent. Um, So we're just going to be talking about you, Joe, kind of interview you, some questions that I have, talking about your experience coming out of Grace Bible College, going into seminary, working in the local church, uh, feel called to be a pastor. Mm-hmm. And you're just on the cusp of uh, becoming full-blown, full-time pastor. Like, this is what you want to do with your life and your calling and your career. Yeah. So maybe you could start by just sharing with our listening audience, you know, <laughs> what that journey's been like for you, how you became aware of that calling, and how that was confirmed for you. Yeah, so <clears throat> I came to Grace Bible College as a freshman, like all college students do, and originally came because I liked English, I like teaching, and so it just felt natural to come to a small Bible college where they have a secondary education program, and I could um, be trained here, and there was also like a dual enrollment, so I would learn at Cornerstone as well, and that kind of was appealing to me. Um, I started that track and realized halfway into it I hated English classes and hated teaching classes, and so maybe I should kind of reevaluate what I actually want to do. Not that there's anything wrong with English. Yeah, uh, English is great. English is pretty good. I still like it. I just don't like English classes. Um, But I decided to reevaluate what I really enjoy doing. And one of the things that I thought about was I really liked getting up for Bible classes. I liked theology classes. Um, So that made me kind of step back and do a few weeks of processing. And as I did that processing, I kind of looked back over my life and saw how um, I love visiting people and taking care of people. I did that with my parents a lot. Um, I end up counseling or coaching people a lot more than I realized at the time. And so all those strands kind of wove together, and I realized that maybe this pastoral idea could be a good thing. Um, so I didn't necessarily commit to it right away, but switched my major to biblical studies, um, kind of dove into the pastoral part, and just to get my feet wet, I guess. Um, did a few internships while I was in my undergrad at Grace, 
and just found that I really loved it and really felt fulfilled doing it. I was really nervous about preaching, but the first sermon I preached, I loved every second of it, um, and it was really fulfilling, really life-giving. And yeah, so not for, everyone can say that when they preach their first sermon or prepare their first sermon. Yeah, and I bet it was terrible. I bet it was an awful sermon, but I enjoyed being in front of people I loved, the attention, I guess, but I also loved thinking on my feet and the preparation that comes with it um, and just being able to present um, the Word of God well. Do you remember what that sermon was about? I think it had something to do with walking on water or something like that, getting out of the boat, of course. Um, But I tried to make it not sound like that. I tried to make it edgier. Probably didn't work, but... A different take on it. Yeah. I think that's everyone's first sermon. It's a sermon (laughs) that I've heard before that I'm going to somehow make my own. I'm going to own this. It's going to be really unique because I'm saying it. Exactly. And I really thought that for a long time. For several years, I was like, I'm going to be the best pastor because I look at things differently or I'm uniquely gifted. Um, But one of the things that seminary has helped me with is realizing that, no, we're all kind of in this together. And it's not about making ourselves look better. It's really about presenting the gospel in a way that's appealing, but also in a way that's true to the gospel. Um, Sorry, I jumped ahead a little bit maybe. That's okay. I was going to ask you, how... How did your seminary experience uh, help refine that sense of calling? Because I want to say you came out of Grace Bible College with a pretty strong conviction or leading that you wanted to be a pastor, so you did go to seminary, but how has that been further confirmed or refined? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I came out of Grace thinking that I could immediately go into the senior pastor role and flourish and do excellent. And maybe I could have, maybe I didn't search long enough. Um, But one of the things I found as I was looking at different churches is that um, people need, people want their pastors to have more experience, a little bit more education. So I kind of became convicted that maybe I should take some time to really own what I believed and figure it out and like refine it, like you said, sharpen it, um, but then also have experience in church alongside of that. And as much as seminary has given me information, it's also given me just a long period of time to process what I believe and what I think um, and mature alongside of that. My wife and I have had two children during my seminary time, which we were planning on having none until I got done with seminary, but now we have two. And surprise! I have, yeah. <laughs> surprise! <I> have, <laughs> again, whoa. The second one was not a surprise, Kaylee, if you're listening. I love Soren. But we weren't going to have children until after seminary, and now we have two and I have six months left in seminary, so that's the way that thing works. But it's been nice to kind of spread out my education, spread out my experience, and really take that as a time to learn wisdom. seems like that's one of the things that happens in seminary is real life. Life doesn't stop because you go to seminary, and although it is this hiatus before you go into full-time ministry, you're, you're working and you're being a husband or a wife and you're being a, a parent all these things are happening and you have to, I mean, it's a, it's a forces you to grow up fast in that environment. Yeah. And learning to discipline myself in the midst of that. One of the things that seminary really focuses on and like the enhancement parts is being balanced and emotionally healthy and learning to take rests and Sabbaths well. And for the first two years of seminary, I was like, how am I supposed to take a Sabbath when I have 500 papers I have to write every week? But then Earlier this year, actually, I realized the reason they do that is because life's always going to be that busy and always that demanding, and you have to structure your life well so that you can rest and recover and be balanced. So what have you changed 
in learning that? <clears throat> well, I've been trying to incorporate some kind of Sabbath time every week. Um, it's not always a full day because kids and demands and so many different things pulling me don't really allow that. Um, and we have to make money to survive. So it's hard to find a whole day where you can say this is my rest day. But I think it's being intentional with the, the six hours you have and not saying, well, I have to go run and do Hebrew homework. Instead, say, no, I'm going to be with my family right now. I'm not going to let my phone get in the way. I'm not going to let emails get in the way. I'm just going to be here and be present in this and try to foster and, and help grow my family and also get strength and recover mm-hmm. in that time myself. So you have to be really purposeful. It's awesome that you've learned so much about life and that seminary is not a purely academic activity. I think a lot of people, uh, lay people, maybe think of seminary as where you go to get more kind of pure education, mm-hmm. more Bible, theology, more knowledge. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like your program has really done a good job of preparing you for the rigors mm-hmm. of the schedule of ministry, for some of the emotional toll that it's going to take, and then how to yeah. repair yourself. So what have you learned about yourself in that in this time? Yeah, I think one of the, the biggest things going in, I was pretty arrogant, and I'm probably still arrogant. I don't want to say that I'm not. Um, but I went in at first kind of nervous about what this seminary thing would be like, nervous if I was prepared enough to be in like a graduate program. Um, And in the first few weeks, I realized that Grace Bible College prepared me super well. Um, A lot of the other people in my cohort that I go through with had, like, business degrees or other degrees that weren't even Bible-related at all. So a lot of the first year is bringing everyone up to the same level. And so I think I got pretty arrogant in that because I already had the Greek training. I already had a semester of Hebrew. Um, I already, like new theology or could talk about it. So for the first semester or two, I was pretty, I was pretty not humble about things. But then having a daughter and kind of realizing that I don't know everything, um, was kind of humiliating, I guess, made me humble a little bit. Um, but realizing that I'm fallible too, and that I can not understand things as well as I think I can. I really struggled with Hebrew, and having to get a tutor was super humbling for me. Um, but it was it was exciting because that was an opportunity to grow and get past my arrogance um, and realize that we're all leaders, but it's not because we're great leaders. It's because God calls us. Um, so that was, that was nice to step back and see myself um, not as this awesome speaker, communicator, but just as a person that's called by God. And one of many called by God. Yeah. And part of a, a community of people who are in this environment growing together. Yeah. That's really great. So you said earlier on that you've done a bunch of, you did a bunch of internships in your undergrad. I know that internship is normally, like some kind of practical experience is normally a part of seminary. Yeah. And you're working with with Jim at Celebration Church, yeah. Celebration Bible Church uh, right now. So talk a little bit about that experience uh, of, of being a pastoral intern, of being in a small church environment, because the podcast is really about life and leadership in the local church. We're not super pastors. We're not pastors of mega churches for the most part. It's, it's more about shepherding and nurturing these communities of uh, small groups of people of 100 or 200 or, or a, few, a few more than that. 
So just what has your experience been like so far? Yeah, it's hard to get into an internship because you've probably been at a few churches before and had relationships there, and so it's hard to not break those relationships but transition into different relationships. Uh, for the first six or so months for Kaylee and I, it was really about getting to know the people, and it's kind of stumbling through names and kind of awkward because you're not sure what to talk about with people, um, doing the whole small talk thing. But it's been really exciting to be able to get to know the people and being involved in their lives and then seeing myself develop in ministry that way. Um, preaching is a little bit easier when you know who you're talking to. Um, it's a little bit more natural. Um, not because you're speaking directly at people, but because you know them and they know you and there's like natural trust that's built. Jim's talked about that before, the way that you know a shepherd knows their flock and so he knows exactly what each member needs and he can custom tailor a specific point or an application to people he knows are struggling with certain situations or leave it broadly enough open that several different groups of people could apply. So I know that he consciously considers that. And that's huge. And it's just really refreshing to be somewhere where the, the pastor knows that and is consciously aware of that and develops him own, his own self towards that as well. And it sounds like you're learning how to do that a, a little bit better too. Yeah. You talked about preaching earlier, and I just wonder, as you as you went from young Joe with that first sermon that you preached of you know getting out of the boat and walking on the water, <laughs> little Joey, to present day Joe, and that kind of the arc of your preaching, um, mm. what have you learned about preaching, and what's important to you? What do you value? What do you want to see happen in the sermon? Yeah. As I just think that might be valuable for people to hear because. You're, you're coming at this as someone who's fresh. It's not someone who's been in the same pulpit for 20 years and they, and they have a style and that's who they are. What is it like for someone who's just coming into that thinking about their preaching? Yeah, so for the first few internships I was in, I had a few opportunities to preach at each one. Um, and I think when you're fresh in college or fresh on the scene, people just kind of say, oh yeah, that was great, keep going, and don't really give you critique. So I think I became really cemented in the the style that I had preached in before, the like most natural way for me. Um, but working with Jim, it's been helpful. He really um, pays a lot of attention to critique me and make sure that my points are uh, fluid. Make sure I'm not accidentally offending anyone with throwaway phrases. Um, so Can I think, you give an example? No, I'm just kidding. No, I cannot give an example. Um, but just make sure that everything I do in the sermon is purposeful and it's well thought out and not just put together um, like relying on my own competency it's more um, really thoughtfully approaching the sermon as a way to serve the people rather than to show off um, or to prove that I can preach and it's been really great to still keep the basic way I structure sermons but um, do it in a way that's concise do it in a way that makes sense um, isn't distracting. One of the things that Jim and I talk about a lot is not making the form of your sermon so like exuberant that people are like, where's he going with this? I don't even get what's going on. But really making it logical and the way we learn is how we kind of preach as well. Um, so I really appreciate being critiqued and refining things, not just sticking with like, oh, you do it naturally well, just keep going. And there aren't very many opportunities to get that it's pretty unique that you're in a, a spot where someone's actively building into your life with that constructive criticism and saying, you know, you might, you might never hear from someone again who's going to 
honestly evaluate your preaching because mm-hmm. you don't want to hurt the pastor's feelings. You're not sure that you're the good judge of the sermon anyway. Um, and when do you, when is the right time to give a pastor feedback on the sermon? Is yeah. it right away? <laughs> is it Monday morning? Is it later in the week, but then you'll forget. And so it's really cool that you have that dynamic uh, mm-hmm. built into your internship right now. What's a sermon that you preached where you felt like you did really well? Like what made it good? Yeah, a few, I guess it was a few months ago now, um, we were in a psalm series, and I've never preached out of the psalms before, so it was kind of a, a different experience, and a few days into my preparation, I thought, man, I have think I said everything I could say from this passage, how am I supposed to do more than that? And so I had to kind of back things up and look at things a little bit differently and find some new perspectives and do some more reading. And it was still like the basic information from the psalm. I didn't like get anything new that no one's seen before. Um, but I think that experience of like just sitting in it and rereading it and rereading what people say about it kind of formed something in me. So the sermon came out naturally from some point of growth inside of me, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, so when I was preaching it, it wasn't this, like, I know the information, I know what's right in this passage, here it is. It was more, I've already worked through this in my own heart and implemented it, and I hope this helps my people as well. People. This, is, this has formed me and shaped me in such a way, and God's word has spoken to me, Yeah. and the Holy Spirit has been at work in me, so now I have something to say. Yeah, instead of, like, having to get up there and just, well, I have to get through this 40-minute sermon. It was more, this is important, I've experienced it in my own life. Here's how I can serve you with it. And how you experience and apply that might be slightly different, but the point is that we're reading Scripture together and we're being formed by Scripture. Hopefully there's some commonalities there. But Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What about a sermon that didn't go so well? Can you think of an example of that? Yeah, <laughs> probably Vulnerability several. moment. <laughs> I'm sweating. Um, yeah, a few weeks ago, when Jim actually had the baby. I guess Natalie had the baby, but Jim was there. Um, Mitch, the youth pastor, and I were both kind of ready the entire month of September for whenever Natalie would go into labor and if we had to like jump on the scene. Um, and so I took that time to find one of my old sermons, kind of refine it, kind of put some new things in it, tweak some things so that it's one that I can always preach if I had A to. A go-to sermon. Yeah. We've all got them. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to keep mine after the way it went. but um, And I think it went okay, but I think I tried to jam-pack it with so much information. Um, TMI! Yeah, it wasn't really helpful. I mean, I probably told the gospel well, and I portrayed Jesus well in it. But at the same time, I could see that I was losing people, and I could tell that I was preaching from a place that was different than the Psalms one. Mm. It was preaching more like, well, I have to have this in my repertoire of sermons, so here it is, instead of, this has formed me as a person, here's how I serve you. So it's kind of the exact opposite of the one I did well. Did you get any feedback on either one of those that that let you know, but you're talking about the nonverbals that you get from the congregation saying they're with you or they're not with you? Yeah. And I think in that one it was, there's just a bunch of energy because the pastor, Jim, was having a baby that day, so I think people were a little bit distracted and excited to hear about that. So my sermon wasn't the top priority. 
And I was probably kind of offended. Second, second page news. Yeah. Oh, continue on page three. Um, so that was probably a little bit of it. But I could just tell it wasn't connecting. And it wasn't because it was a bad sermon. It was just I was delivering it in a different way. And the congregation was in a different place, too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that happens not just when pastors and their wives have babies, but it happens with the news cycle. It happens with current events. Yeah. We've talked about that. We've talked about um, the extent to which you can bring those current events into your sermon. Is that what people need to hear? Or is that what they want to hear? And how much to respond to you know, the political season or to wars and rumors of wars and yeah. social things that are happening it's hard to know and it's a delicate balance between this is where we are in the scriptures together as a community to uh, what's on people's minds and how do I get them like get their heads and their hearts into the scriptures or get it into them yeah and I've been thinking a lot lately too about how the act of forming a sermon is is like a struggle you have to wrestle with the text you go through so many things that people will never see your, your mind is warped and wrestling with ideas and how to say things well. And people only see really the presentation of the sermon on Sunday, but there's so much inner conflict and inner battle when you're wrestling with how to preach this text. And I think to a certain extent, there's just going to be sermons where it doesn't connect well. There's going to be sermons where you can't change things enough at the last second to make it reach your people that well. Um, but I think that's just part of the role of preacher in the role of pastor. Yeah, part of the pastoral task and, and being really embedded uh, part of the life of that community yeah. is you're human too, yeah. which a lot of people forget. And you have a brand new baby at home too. Yeah. And a two-year-old at the same time. And that preparation uh, is grueling. And then when the final product isn't all that it's cracked up to be or what people thought of could have been yeah uh, or what you thought it could have been like those human dynamics really enter in and that's where i hope pastors and congregations can be gracious to each other recognizing not every sermon is going to be a home run yeah absolutely and i think that sermon moved me past just thinking of myself as a preacher and moved me into the people's lives when i saw that they weren't paying attention as well or kind of being distracted it gave me an opportunity to step back from the sermon and realize that the role of pastor isn't just preacher. It's role of taking care of his people and listening to his people and serving them in that way as well. So even though it wasn't the best sermon, it kind of moved me into people's lives, forced me to do that. I think that's so important to hear because when I look at pastoral ministry students who are coming up through the ranks of Grace Bible College, uh, and there are so many celebrity pastors who have... Uh, YouTube channels and websites and, and downloadable sermon series and big media production. Podcasts. And podcasts, not to mention the podcasts. <laughs> Don't forget to like us on iTunes and subscribe on SoundCloud. But we have this uh, attraction to wanting to be a superstar preacher or a superstar communicator because that's, that's where the action is. And we have this temptation to, to want to be that or to compete or to show that we have enough to be one of those one of those superstars. And that's not at all what it's about. That's not the calling. Uh, the calling is, is much more humble 
than that, and it's in service to our to yeah. our people. Eugene Peterson has this quote. Um, that's he says, "You're at your pastoral best when you go unnoticed." I think that's really true when you're in the lives of the people, listening to them, not to make a big show of who you are, not to make yourself look better, but really to just serve them quietly and without making yourself a big deal. I think that's following the pattern of Christ. That's been really important to me in in premarital counseling and in doing weddings for people. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I try to do when I perform a wedding, mm-hmm. performed your wedding. Oh yeah, I forgot. Which was really cool. <laughs> Uh, is to disappear as much as possible. Mm-hmm. So the exact quote that Eugene Peterson had there, and that's, um, and everyone's been to the wedding mm-hmm. where the pastor went on and on with the sermon or went on and on with comments that were slightly, slightly awkward for the bride and groom <laughs> or was trying to be too funny. And, and in that way, the role of the pastor became about the pastor, not the couple whose mm-hmm. day it is to celebrate their vows and their and they're uniting in marriage. So that's been something I've really tried to prioritize in my own ministry. And it's great to hear that you're still wrestling with that too, because there isn't a moment, at least from my perspective going into pastoral ministry, there isn't a moment where you choose that and it just kind of happens naturally from there. You have to constantly back out of the spotlight and put your people first, put put Christ first and serve them in that way. Find ways of disappearing, find ways of empowering others. Yeah. Because they're gifted too. And yeah. they have the ability to uh, to preach and to teach and to lead. Uh, I think some of our best pastors are the ones who are willing to share their pulpits. Yeah. And give others the opportunity to grow yeah. and discover their gifts. Joe, what are your dreams for ministry? Where would you want to be 10 or 20 years from now? It's probably different now than it was when I got out of grace. Um, Like I said, I was kind of arrogant. figured I could just become a pastor and do the best that I could. Um, But I think my dreams have shifted a little bit more to the smaller church model. Um, I grew up in smaller churches. I kind of naturally fit there. I feel like I flourish well there. In one of my classes the other day, we talked about how people that do well in small churches if they get promotions or move up to bigger churches, those big churches eventually shape to what the pastor is naturally good at. So a thousand person churches can shrink down back to 180. And that's not because it's a weak church or a weak pastor. It's because that's where the pastor fits naturally and the people will reflect that. Wow. Um, I don't know if that's all the way true, but I think it has value in thinking that way. Um, So thinking along those lines, I kind of just want to accept that I'm, made for small churches and not think of that as a failure because it's not it's just where God has called me Um, so I guess my dreams would be working as a lead senior teaching preaching pastor in a smaller church like that Um, preaching but also being in the lives of the people I think when I got out of grace I was I would kind of compromise what my skills were and what my strengths were to try to find a job. So if someone wanted a youth pastor, I'd say, oh yeah, I can work with youth well, which is true, I can work with youth, but what I feel called to is teaching, preaching, and pastoral care. Um, And going through seminary and working with Jim has kind of helped me establish that and own it and know that those skills are valuable. Whoever God has me with those skills is where I'm supposed to be. 
I think that would be the most life-giving thing to me is preaching, teaching, pastoral care. I can only imagine it's got to be a blessing to have that kind of clarity. Yeah. Like, this is who I am. This is what I'm called to do. Yeah. And then that puts it in God's hands, too, wherever he wants me, rather than me trying to force my own way into somewhere or take matters into my own hands. It's God's behind the scenes providing, and that's the way it's supposed to be. Well, thanks, Joe. One of the questions we like to ask everyone is, what for you in ministry is the the biggest blessing? Hmm. And what's the greatest grind or the thing that saps your energy the most? Hmm. I think the most life-giving thing for me um, is working with people, serving them, listening to them, talking to them, and then seeing the, the shift in their attitude when they're willing to share things. Um, because you've both kind of worked a long time to get to that point, mm-hmm. been vulnerable with each other up to that point. Um, and so seeing people being willing to open up and share and trust you enough to say those things, that is so life-giving. Um, I definitely can echo that. That's a huge responsibility, and it's a huge thing that you've fought to get to. I've had friends in ministry at my church that I've known for 10 years who just in the past six months have opened up to me about stuff hmm. that are struggles for them, that have been ongoing struggles, stuff I never would have known hmm. had we not been in a small group, um, open, like what you said with vulnerability, we're opening ourselves up to each other with a little bit more vulnerability, really sharing life together in what Larry Crabb calls spiritual community. Yeah. And and really following the lead of the spirit and how we listen to each other and how we talk to each other. Um, and it's not it's not a, anything that would ever be accomplished from the pulpit. It has yeah. to be like in the daily life of people. Yeah. And over a long, long period over of time. Over a long period of time. Yeah, ten years plus. Yeah. And one of my first internships I had the opportunity to intern at the church I grew up in. Um, which had its own unique blessings and kind of challenges too. Um, But one of the things I learned early on is to get people to trust you and to be able to earn that right, you have to learn from your people too. Um, So I went on a a men's retreat that was like a fishing trip. I don't know anything about cars or fishing or hunting, but kind of stepping out of that like arrogance of, well, I know all this stuff, I don't need to know this stuff. Stepping back into, hey, can you teach me how to fish? Learning from the people somehow gave me more um, more opportunity to, for them to be vulnerable with me. It gave me a place of respect that's not because I preach well, but because I listen well. Yeah, you, you humbled yourself and, and let them become the leader in that way. Yeah. And, and that says we're in this together. Yeah. Awesome. What about the biggest grind? Oof, the grind. Um, I'm not good at administrative stuff. I'm pretty terrible at time management. Um, Jim's helped me a lot with that, too. Um, I hate saying no to people, but I also hate being way overbooked. It's got to be rough, then. Yeah. (laughs) That's a killer combination. (laughs) So all of it is terrible. Um, But I'm just not naturally good at organizing my time well. So I've really had to learn to step back and see that as serving people, too rather than just saying no selfishly, um, but saying no so that I can say yes to better things. It's probably the most difficult thing for me. All right, last question. Yeah. 
what are you reading or what have you read that you'd want to recommend to our vast listening audience? Yeah, I, and we've talked about this a lot. Well, I haven't, but you guys have talked about this a lot on the podcast. Um, the Pastor by Eugene Peterson. That's at um, least the third or fourth recommendation <laughs> of that book. It's great. Um, if you haven't read it at this point, go read it right now. Um, really formative for me of how I look at the pastorate um, and serving people. Um, a book that I just finished reading over the summer that was kind of like a suggested read um, is Freedom of Simplicity by Richard Foster. He also wrote The Celebration of Discipline, which I try to incorporate in life too. Um, but Freedom of Simplicity is more along the lines of living a simple life um, and that reflects the gospel. Um, so like material stuff, but also like time management, um, living in a way that doesn't draw attention to how well you live, but kind of like we talked about before, being unnoticed and um, living a life simply. Another book that I've read like one and a half times for different things in seminary um, is Peter Scarzero, if I'm saying that right, his um, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. It's really, really beneficial to read that book and see how many things we think are benef- benefiting us but really are just um, toxic and how forming our emotions well is really the foundation of successful ministry. Um, and I have another one, too, that I had to read for a class, again, like two or three times. Um, it's by a professor at Calvin. Her name is De Young. It's called Glittering Vices, and it's like a reexamining of the um, seven deadly sins um, and I thought it was going to be like lame, like, oh, I'm not going to read this. It's going to be legalistic and not helpful. But it really sheds light on those, the vices and seven deadly sins in a way that's really helpful and really relevant for pastoral ministry. Like one of them is sloth. And I thought, oh, well, that's going to be like laziness. I know I'm lazy. I don't need to read this book, which is a lazy thing to say. Ooh. <laughs> um, QED. Yeah. Um, but reading through the sloth chapter and realizing that sloth isn't as much about laziness as it is looking at the expanse of your calling and how long of a process it's going to be and just getting overwhelmed and becoming passive in light of it. Um, so being able to see sloth for what it is and counteract that with like joy and patience and faithfulness to my call. Um, it's really relevant, really helpful. So those would be my five books to read. Those are great recommendations. Thanks, Joe. Yeah. Thanks for your your friendship and for uh, your commitment to, to me and to my family and to Jim and his family and celebration and uh, all the work that you're doing. We're just really excited for you and Kaylee and your family as you look at the next steps of ministry, uh, especially as, a, as the next generation of pastoral leader. But we are excited for you to be involved in ministry and uh, really praying for God's best for you and Kaylee as you take your next steps forward. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Joe. You've been listening to the Pastoral Calling Podcast with Jim Shamaria and me, Matt Loverin. Join us every two weeks as we start a new conversation about life and leadership in the local church. If you like us, make sure you follow us on SoundCloud or on iTunes, and also tell all your friends so they can join the conversation.